Star Wars 7x7 episode 3023. It's an eye for an eye in more ways than one in the eye, which is chapter 6 of season 1 of the Andor series and the conclusion of the season's second arc. We've got a 7 takeaway breakdown for you right here. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So let's start our takeaways with what we didn't see <laughs> in Chapter 6 of the Andor series. And that is, we didn't see anything with Cyril and we didn't see anything with Ferex or any of the folks on Ferex. So considering how this episode ended, and considering what we've seen in teasers and trailers and whatnot, stands to reason that Cassian is heading back to Ferrix at the end of this episode, and there's going to be more trouble happening planet side there. For a second takeaway, let's talk briefly about the people that we saw briefly in the episode, which would be Mon Mothma and Luthan Rail. Mon Mothma speaking to a largely empty Senate chamber, and I think that's kind of interestingly reflective about things that happen in our own government. <laughs> She seemingly gets the news in the middle of her speech about what happened on Aldani, and there's no indication that she is directly responsible for the funding of this situation, at least not from what we've seen so far, but we do know she is very happy about those developments. And then, of course, we had the final scene with Luthen Rail, where he gets the word from an unlikely source, a randomly hanging out Imperial officer, that there was a rebel attack on Aldani, and he gets to go into his back room and heave a sigh of relief. And, of course, we've seen Mon and Luthen and Clea in other scenes that have yet to show up in the series, so they definitely have more work ahead of them. For takeaways three through six, let's talk about the different elements of the main thrust of the episode, which is the heist that we've been building up to for the previous two episodes. First of all, let's talk about the Donnie people who are on a pilgrimage to see the eye. I have to say, the way they set things up, I thought those folks were going to interfere with the operation. Not intentionally, per se, just that the way the Donnie Elder reacts to the Empire and the fact that he clearly speaks basic when Lieutenant Gorn gives a translation of the Donnie language that is not what the Donnie Elder says. The Elder gives Gorn a sharp look and you know that he understands that Gorn said something entirely different from what he said which was definitely a very threatening kind of statement. And then after the ceremonial exchange of the goat hides, the Elder takes the goat hide that he got from the Empire and throws it in the fire and there's a lot of anger <laughs> in his chanting and stuff. I tell you, I thought they were setting it up for them deciding to you know pull off some kind of stunt that might hamper the empire but might also affect the you know clockwork you know very meticulously planned operation down to the second that our rebels had set up for this heist and speaking of their interactions with the Empire, that's my fourth takeaway. It seems like the Empire, at least on Eldani, is not quite at the point where Cassian you know, believes them to be, that they're not even thinking of them, that they're not playing by any kind of rules. You know, 
know, if they were really at that case, they would have just utterly and completely slaughtered all the Eldani and been done with it. But instead, they're actually thinking about them in terms of psychological warfare, the whole conversation about how, you know, we give them all these choices, but they can't hold multiple ideas in their head. So they just get overwhelmed and then they refuse a transport because we knew they would. And they put these comfort stations along the way to winnow down the number of pilgrims that actually arrive for the Festival of the Eye. But based on the conversations with the Commandant and the Colonel, who is an engineer thinking of grand future plans for Aldani, that is the way they want to go. And it may just be the case that further out in the galaxy, in the Outer Rim and whatnot, that is the experience of interacting with the Empire, that they are just the boots stomping down on your face. Whereas closer to Coruscant, they have to play by rules that appear to be a little nicer because they're not yet at the point where they have everything so locked down in the galaxy that they can just be completely, utterly totalitarian and fascist. And there's a similarity also to what happens on Ferrix with what's going to happen on Aldani, that there's some sort of monthly forum on Ferrix where people can complain about what the you know, Prelox Morlana corporate authority is doing, which, you know, maybe the Empire will allow that forum to continue, maybe they won't. But on Aldani, they are talking about how, oh yeah, you know, the Enterprise Zone that we set up eventually everybody can watch the eye and that whole situation from the Enterprise Zone, they won't be able to come through that sacred valley to be able to participate in it in their custom. So yeah, I think Cassian is right in his Outer Rim perspective way, and it's just a matter of time before the inner rings of the galaxy, so to speak, are falling in that direction too. For a fifth takeaway, I'll mention one of the more surprising things about the heist, for me at least, and that was the fact that Cinta was left behind, and apparently intentionally so. Considering that there is some sort of romantic connection between Vel and Cinta, I'm really surprised that that was how it was designed to be. Unless, of course, we are setting ourselves up for another situation down the line in the series where we return to Aldani with Vel to see her get Cinta out of there. Or there's another plan for Cinta to get off of Aldani. Certainly, Luthen Rail was able to get to Aldani without any issues. So, yeah, there's definitely got to be a solution for Cinta there. We just don't know what it is yet. For a sixth takeaway, let's talk about that final scene with Cassian and Skeen waiting outside while Dr. Quadpaw, yeah, that's his name, Dr. Quadpaw, is operating on Nemec. Now, I've only watched the episode once so far, and I will be watching it again, and one of the things I'll be paying attention to is whether there are times during this final heist scene when they're getting fired upon by the Imperials who show up, whether Skeen makes any decisions that sacrifice other members of the team in order for his own personal safety to see if there's another clue there about the mercenary turn that he takes at the very end. But the fact of the matter is, is that they did kind of seed a mercenary turn for us by showing us all of his you know, tattoos and his you know sordid background described as a result of those tattoos, that sort of thing. I will say, though, that the moment he proposed the split, you had to know that Skeen was a dead man. It was just a matter of how it would happen. And they went with the Solo A Star Wars Story route, where <laughs> he's talking and just Cassian up and shoots him in the middle of a sentence. There's no pithy remark or anything like that. It's just, get her done. And it's very much in line with Cassian's character as well. 
both as we have seen him so far and also as we are plotting a path between who he is in the Andor series and who he eventually becomes in Rogue One. And then, of course, there's the very touching handoff of the manifesto to Cassian. Have to imagine that's going to come up somewhere in the future, and I'm really excited to find out where, like how we're going to see that continue to play a part in the storytelling here. I hope they make it a part of it. I hope it comes up somewhere else too. It'd be really cool. And then the final takeaway is just a kudos to Susanna White, who is the director of these episodes. Fantastic direction overall. Very tense heist scene. A lot of moving parts, a couple of fake outs, some surprises, and a very satisfactory final twist. This was a fantastic arc, and I am just you know thrilled. The series has been bang up awesome so far and I cannot wait to see where they go with it for arc number three in chapter seven. We have an idea of kind of where they're going to be going with it to some degree and we'll talk about that very soon. But for now, that is going to do it for my seven takeaway breakdown of chapter six of the Andor series, The Eye, and that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it as always and may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See JDPower.com awards for 2022 details.